Hey, what it do, guys? Welcome to episode 33 of Just Another Knicks Fan. And, yo, I'm glad the NBA is back. Like, I'm happy. You know, this is facts. And, and shit is already interesting. And um, being the fact that this is episode 33, I got to give P. Ewing a shout-out. Fucks with P. Ewing, you know, like I said before, he's a New York legend, and he will be treated as such. I'm going to put him on top 10 all the time just to shake the room up on people. Uh, Larry Bird, he also won number 33, another legend with the Boston Celtics. You know, shit is crazy because Larry Bird was a sixth pick of the 1978 draft, and the Knicks had a shot at drafting him, but we did it. And I'm not upset at or anything about it because we ended up picking Michael Ray Richardson, who was a great player, but um, it was just unfortunate that things went down south for him. You know, he was a straight-up bowler. Uh, the only issue was the fact that he had an addiction issue, and that was one of the main reasons his career was shut, uh, uh, cut short. But it was crazy despite these issues. You know, he was an all-star you know, leading the league in steals and assists in just his second season in the eighth. That's to me, that's pretty impressive. And not only that, Isaiah Thomas said he was uh, one of the hardest players for him to guard at one point. And you know, it got really, it got so bad for Michael Ray Richardson to the point where he got banned from the league. But the positive is the fact that he recovered and he was able to turn his life around for the better. I think he's coaching and. And, you know, gives out life lessons, you know, through the things that he went through. And, like I said, just for the fact that he, he recovered is a great thing. It's very positive. And um, we all learn on our own from our own experiences. And we learn as we live through them. So, you know, who are we to judge anybody not knowing their upbringing and their environment and their mental state of mind? I was just amazed at the fact that everything that he went through off the court, he was still bowling on the court. And I'm not mad at all at the fact that we drafted Michael Ray Richardson because he was averaging 15 points, 10 assists, 3 steals, 18 points, 8 assists, 20 points, 8 assists, 3 steals. Like, he was getting busy. So, the talent was there. I could see why we picked him. And he showed us why we, we should have picked him. But things just didn't work out. And that's just the way it is sometimes. But he was a bowler. And um, you know, that's all I got to say for now. But it was just crazy that him and Larry Bird was in the same draft. And the Knicks had a chance at drafting Larry Bird. But, you know, Michael Ray Richardson, he was also from New York, I believe. So, you know, he sort of want to go with the hometown kid. And, you know, on the court, he did disappoint. But, um, you know, just things just didn't work out. But... Either way, he's still a great player, and I think, you know, he should be mentioned more often about um, players that were electrifying point guards in the 80s. I think he's often forgot about. Um, even Bernard King, he's a, a small forward of the Knicks. Great wing player, often forgot about. Knicks just have these great players that just often forgot about for some reason, which is very unfortunate. And... You know, Larry Bird is is what we see with someone who maximized everything he had. You know, he, we didn't have no questions about 
anything in terms of his basketball acumen. Oh, he could have maybe shot the ball better, or maybe he could have passed the ball better. Maybe he could have played better on defense. And that wasn't the case. You no, know, he didn't leave no ifs, ands, or maybes. And whatever he could do, whatever he could get out of his talent, he was able to do that, whether it's from the offensive or defensive end, whether it's passing, shooting, defense, clutch ability. He basically flushed it all out. You know, so everybody did what he's supposed to do on the basketball court. And not only that, you know, Larry Bird, he mastered the whole trash talking abilities. Like, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I'm probably not going to mention that either. But he has amazing trash talking stories that I think we all can appreciate. And I'm probably going to go on YouTube later at some point and, and probably just watch some shits. I'm like, yo, damn. Now I'll probably talk about it on on this podcast. But um, you know, shout outs to Patrick Ewing and Larry Bird and um, everyone else that won number thirty three. Um, Aubrey Ward number thirty three on the Nets as well. And I actually got to watch the documentary, and that shit was pretty fire. I really enjoyed it, and it just it just gave me another sense of appreciation for Marbury because I remember back in sixth grade when he got traded to the Knicks along with Penny Hardaway. I was hyped as hell. Like, I don't let me, I remember like my other friends, we was hyped because, you know, Marbury's from Brooklyn and he's from out here. Uh, he's known to be a Knicks fan and we was hyped. I was hyped. I remember uh, the Black Album by Jay-Z had come out or was in the process of coming out and he had like 99 problems and he had all that shit you gotta get that dirt off your shoulder like it was hype like you had that shit going on and you had 50 doing 50 50 was on top of the world at the time obviously and then not to mention Marbury came to New York it was an amazing time and I was hype and we, the season he got here we ended up in the playoffs you know, with Lenny Wilkins in the fold. And then that was, that was, and you know, things just didn't work out for us. But I was pretty hyped when Marbury was like, when we when we ended up getting Zach Randolph. That was pretty cool. I was hyped. And, you know, Marbury, he gave us a lot of great games. He gave us buzzer beaters. You know, great games against Iverson, against Gilbert Arenas, against Dirk. He, like whoever the best player was on the team, you get that person work. And as a Knicks fan, you know, that's all you could really ask for. And he did that on a night in and night out basis. And it was just unfortunate that things didn't you know work out to to what it should have been. And, you know, and my takeaway from the documentary was I wish that like the Knicks had a, a better rep- rapport with Marburg because it shouldn't have ended that way. His career, his his time in New York should have ended that way, and we should have found a better way to accommodate Marbury. But it just didn't work out the way it was supposed to. You know, I feel like the roster was there. You know, we just wasn't able to put it together. We had a lot of talent. We had Crawford, Marbury, Jamal Crawford, David Lee, even the young Channing Fry in the fold. So we had players, Zach Randolph, but it just didn't work out, which is unfortunate. And I wish we should did, and I wish we was able to just 
make that shit work just for Marbury's sake, just for New York's sake, because, you know, if Marbury was able to do something spectacular, you know, he'd probably be even remembered even more than he is now. And, you know, after watching the documentary, uh, which was pretty good, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I just I just wish sometimes even that he didn't leave Minnesota because, you know, him and Garnett had something special, but it gave us, like, a, a new breakdown of what he was going through uh, in Minnesota, not knowing nobody there except Kevin Garnett, but Garnett had his whole family and um, had his whole crew over there, but he was more just by himself, so... After he's done playing basketball, he's just by himself. So it can get pretty lonely. So I understand that aspect of it. You know, he also said, they also said that uh, it got cold in Minnesota. But it gets cold in New York, too. So I don't know. I think that was like the, I would say, like cop-out. Not cop-out, but a different way to deflect from the actual issue, you know, which is probably he felt lonely and didn't feel like he knew anyone out there at a young age and all of that stuff, so you probably don't want to say that, probably don't come off right. Not only to mention the fact that um, once KG got that money, it was looking slow for everybody else because once KG got that money, they changed the rules again. So you know, that's pretty frustrating when you basically felt like you might miss out on 40, 50, 30 million dollars that you felt like you were owed. And the craziest thing now is that might just happen again with the, with the new CBA because this whole COVID stuff because fans might not be able to come to the games for like a year or two which is whack uh, we don't know what's going on with the NBA and uh, I would say it's um, international relationships we don't know what's going to go on in the future with that a lot of things are up in the air and with that being said it's, it might lead to less money without less fans involved with um, international relationships uh, up for grabs, not known. You know, it's a lot going on. So this might have been a great window for Curry, Harden. I don't want to say LeBron. LeBron, you know, he been supposed to get paid where he got paid. Um, everyone else that got those two hundred million dollar contracts, man. Like we might not see those for a while because the cap, the CBA, might just change. So I could see where Marbury felt that frustration of like, y'all, that's supposed to be my money too because I'm out here balling out. And it just didn't work out. And you know, when he came to the Nets, and he was balling out. Like the Nets, you know, they wasn't doing much like in terms of making the playoffs, but it was fun to watch. Like a lot of people don't forget, like even though certain teams might not make the playoffs, but if you got some players that are worth watching, they're going to show up to the game. The fans are going to show up. And that's what Marbury was for the Nets. You know, he was the hot ticket. You know, you people came to see him play. You know, he gave the Lakers, Kobe and Shaq, 50. He gave a lot of teams 40. You know, and when he got to the Nets, he really got buffed up. Like, you can see the difference between Minnesota Marbury and, and the Nets Marbury. And that's where you've seen Marbury just... Just get buff like it just happened like it seems like overnight, you know, and it it's interesting the fact with Marbury was the fact that it was a certain point in time where he left the Nets, Nets get Jason Kidd, boom, finals back to back years, 
Marbury's on the Suns, you know, to make the playoffs. I hear more fireworks. Apparently, it's still fireworks season, which is cool. Um, no, so it basically felt like every team that Marbury left, that the team he left got better. But, you know, things that are not mentioned is, like, the players that he was with. They had another year in the league. It's a new coaching scheme. And things like that make a difference, you know. Um, we can't forget that. You know, Mike D'Antoni didn't really, I guess, you know, he didn't really get along with Marbury. He didn't get along with Melo. You know, both of these players have a reputation of uh, being me guys. But when you listen to the players, they don't give you that same, I guess, that same response that the media gives. Like, hey, these are not me first guys. You know, when you listen, you hear about Marbury, you hear about a guy that really wants to win. When you listen about Melo, we don't really hear a story about him being a bad teammate. So it's it's interesting, you know, the narratives to get painted about these kind of players. But even when Marbury left the Knicks, which is not fair, which is like, it gets me upset. I'm like, all right, cool, man. So we see that he left the Nets, the Nets got into the finals. We see that he leaves the Suns and boom, the, the Suns are like making deep playoff runs every year. All right, so Marbury leaves the Knicks. Hopefully, you know, we making playoff runs and shit. Huh? The trend always stops with the Knicks. If it's a good trend, it always stops with the Knicks. Uh, that sucks. A bad trend with the Knicks, I feel like it continues. But, yeah, I wish that tenure with Marbury, um, I wish it ended on better terms. I wish the Knicks had have more success. But, you know, with him at the helm, it made it made it worthwhile turning on Channel 27 for four years. Like, all right, cool, we got Marbury, something to watch. Boom, him, Crawford. Like I said, we didn't win a crazy amount of games. We won about 30 to 35 games. Uh, one year we won about 23, pretty bad. The Larry Brown year, shit was horrible. But the team was entertaining to watch. It's like, it's just crazy. But, you know, after... Melo had hurt his knee, and we went through that uh, the tanking year for KP. Like, that shit was hard to watch because that shit was just hard to watch. And even the year before this, like, these past couple of seasons, like, it's just been brutal watching these games because it's like, yo, what the hell is going on in this court? It's like the talent level, the effort level was just non-existent. And at least this year... We dedicated the season to, you know, at least at one point developing the young guns. But it felt like we wasn't even doing that until David Fisdale got fired because I didn't see the point of playing Gibson and a bunch of other veterans. All these X amount of minutes when we got all these young bulls on the bench, you know, waiting to, to develop and show us if they're worth staying on the team or worth even staying in the league or not. You know, only person I was really okay with the coach playing was Marcus Morris because you just need like you just need a guy like that playing on the court. That's giving it his all. But back to Marbury, you know, after watching his documentary, you know, it's the first time where we got to hear the vulnerable side of, of, of his side of the story. Because normally we only hear the media side of the story. So this is the first time that we got to hear, you know, Marbury's side of the story. So I think that's important and Stephen A., I felt like he, he made some valid points in the documentary because he said that you know, Marbury never really had someone speak out for him or try to 
interpret what he was trying to say properly. And I, I could see where the miscommunication can happen and occur. It happens in life all the time. But you know, I think you guys should definitely check out the Marbury documentary. I think that shit was fire. You know, um, the fucking Michael Jordan last documentary, last The Last Dance is back on Netflix in case y'all want to watch it again. But definitely shout outs to Marbury. And the games are back. The games are back. And I'm not going to lie, you know, it don't feel the same without the fans. You know, shit is hard watching the games without the fans. And I saw a clip with Tatum and Chris Paul on the baseline, sideline. And Chris Paul was throwing a pass, and that shit, then it, it, it looked like it was basically 2K for a second. Like, it, it, I thought I was bugging him. Like, yo, is this 2K? But it is what it is, you know. Um, at least I'm not chipping off 2K, though, because I've been retired and hung my jersey up when it comes to that. But I, I really hope the NBA is not trying to push this agenda in the long haul and trying to convince us that this whole virtual fan thing is a forever thing because it's gonna be trash and I keep thinking about the whole virtual reality thing now because they was really been pushing that agenda for the past couple of years talking about oh why go to the games when you can have this VR glasses and you feel like you're right at the game you know it's almost like the illusion of being at the game I get it's cool for the for the most part but just to eliminate going to the games completely I don't know I don't know but um that's what they want to do. I guess, like, they really want to give us that courtside experience from home. But I got NBA courtside, which was Kobe's first game, I believe, being on the cover. And I remember getting that game when I was maybe six or seven years old. And my uncle got me that game, and I'll never forget that. The game was cool. And I'm glad I still got my N64 games because that time period to me was valid. It's a valid time period. You know, everything seemed to have more essence to it. I could be wrong, though, but, you know, sometimes the N64 bag, it could be a valid idea. You know, I also noticed that Microsoft is trying to have virtual fans at the game, and, and I, like I said, I think it's trash. I, I think it makes it look cooler that the stadium don't look empty, but it's just tripping me up, like, They've been doing this for a long time, promoting virtual reality. I thought it was cool to have it as an option, but I guess they're trying to make it a thing. And I know there's gonna not going to be any concerts for next year. So it might be a great possibility that there's probably not going to be no sports games in arenas next year either. It's just sad. But it is what it is, you know. I mean, that is the case because football season is for next season. Football season is completed. So they're not gonna have any fans for the upcoming season. So the NBA's upcoming season gonna be pretty fast as well. And we got some sirens out here. I'm gonna let the sirens pass, you know. Alright, cool. And yeah, I just hope it's not a long term picture. I just hope it's a temporary fix just to get shit done. And I'm pretty sure they're trying to experiment and see how the fans take take this um virtual reality stuff because I don't know. Just don't know. But it was good seeing Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith back on the court though. And you know, I like what Dion's been doing. And I like the arc on, on Dion Waiters shot. 
Because even if the shot don't go in, the anticipation for that shot going in is always amazing. You know, it's like being in the movies when a person takes the last shot for the win and then everything is in slow motion. You know, the ball is in the air and we don't know if the shot's going to go in. They show the crowd. They show the player. They show the coach, the bench. And then they finally show the shot. You know, that's how they normally do it, which is cool. You know, that's what every deal with a shot is like to me. And I know he had a tough time in OKC, you know, even though he had impressive stretches. But I remember watching some of those games where he's taking a shot. It looked like the ball about to go in. And then it would just hit the side of the backboard or something. I'd just be like, damn, that shot looked like it was about to go in. You know, and I know he had a hard time adjusting in OKC. I don't think he would because, you know, KD and, and Russell Westbrook did a great job of getting their shots off and their two-man game isolation setups. My turn, your turn. I figured Dion Waiters would have fit right in with him having his turns when KD and Russell Westbrook needed a break. But the thing is, you know, Russell Westbrook rarely needs a break. And, and same thing with KD. He, don't, he doesn't need much to get going. So... That was just my take on Dion Waiters, you know, staying OKC. It could have been better, but it wasn't too bad. You know, he, he started off his career, his career with a bang in, in the Cavaliers. You know, it looked like they could have, him and Kyrie could have had something going. You know, but things didn't work out. But at the same time, I don't think he should have, I don't think Miami should have let him go. You know, when it comes to play, when it comes to playoff time, you know, we all, not we, but Teams need all the scores you can get, and he's erratic at times. But so what? You know he's a threat, and you gotta respect that on the court. And that's just what it is because a lot of times when it comes to these playoff games, it just comes down to scoring. Who could get you a bucket? Because everybody knows each other's plays, what they're gonna do, what. And sometimes it just comes down to who can get you a bucket. And I think Deion Waiters is one of those players that can get you a bucket. I feel like the Lakers, they got a, a, quite a few players that could, you know, bail them out. It's, it's like LeBron and AD are struggling. They got Kuz, they got, they got JR, they got... Um, who's JR? They got Waiters. I'm missing some people. I'm drawing... I'm, I can't think right now of who else they got. But I feel like they got a great bunch of scores. Colwell Pope, he's been playing much better. So, so they got some people out there. And... I didn't see some of the Lakers second game, but, you know, I saw the clip of JR hitting the side of the backboard after putting some moves on somebody. And, you know, when it comes to JR, when he goes into street volume two mode, I always find that exciting because you can always expect something to happen, whether it's good or bad. And that's what makes it exciting. And that's what makes it matter. You know, I, I've expressed my feelings for JR on his part numerous times. And it's good to see him on the court balling out because... You know, last night, he got busy. You know, at first, the previous game, you know, people talked about the missed shot on the backboard. And now look at this game. Man scored like 20 or 25 points, something light. And he could do that on a regular basis. You know, if he just stays focused um, enough and, and, and he gets enough touches. But that squad is, is a bit deep. So, we'll see, we'll see how often he can, you know, put up efficient numbers. And I seen Jr. You know, throw that lob to Dwight Howard. I like the fact that they just look, they both look happy to just be out on the court playing basketball, and that's what I like to see. And I just can't believe the NBA starts today. I can't believe it's been 
more than four and a half months since we had an official regular season game. I just can't believe that. It's, it's been that long. Like, it feels so long ago, but it really wasn't. But at the same time, it is. And normally, we go four months without watching basketball from July to usually October. So three months, but if to me, like the NBA's officially started in November because it used to start around Halloween. But now they usually start around mid-October-ish. But the Lakers team is looking good. You know, JL looks happy. Dion look happy. You know, I just hope that LeBron and the coaching staff they just they just let JR and Dion play their games because, you know, once you start putting restrictions on the game, they're not gonna be the same player. So hopefully they just let them ball out and give them the green light. Because that's the only way they're gonna be effective. And, you know, let's just hope for the best. And what was more impressive to me was even watching Bobo play for the first time and you know, it's hopefully something that he could build on. And when it comes to the Nuggets, you know, I'm jealous because they're in such a great position. Like, they already have a great team. And then they were able to take a gamble on Michael Porter Jr. and Bobo. And if they could stay healthy, you know, the Nuggets, they're going to be like the new Spurs of the NBA moving forward with retooling and adding players on the fly finding them at the right spot and getting the most bang for your buck. Like, Bobo, second-round pick. Michael Porter, 14th pick. You know, great gambles. You know, at that point in the draft, they took the best available player at the 14th pick. The 40th pick or 44th pick, they took a wild card. And that's what, those are the things you're supposed to do, especially when you already have a great team. So, uh, we got to give credit to what the Nuggets are doing. They're definitely, you know, figuring all this stuff out and doing it properly. And, you know, we also see that Mike Malone has finally found a home with Denver. And it's crazy that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins, he enjoyed having Mike Malone as his coach back in Sacktown. Now, I don't think they should have ever fired him, you know, but unfortunately they did. And now let's just see what Luke Walton could do with the Kings. But speaking of the Nuggets, you know, we see that Jokic lost a lot of weight, and to be honest, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I guess because of the climate in the NBA, it's okay because of all the fast-paced action and, and the pick-and-roll vibes, but I still think you should... I don't think he needs to lose all that weight, but, you know, he did what he did because at, at the same time, playoffs are going to get physical, a lot of hustling and bustling in the paint, and I, th- I think you could probably use a little weight, you know, to dish out. And, and my guy Lou Will, man. This podcast really reminds me of my six-man appreciation podcast because of all the names being brought up. Lou Will, JR, Dion Waiters. You know, he left the bubble and, and got ho- caught hanging out with Jack Harlow. And I know it's crazy because I know Lou Will was iffy on the NBA returning, but, you know, what if... It was because he didn't want to be in the NBA bubble. Like, he didn't want to be in that shit for, like, three months or whatever. And I know he said that he only stopped by to get wings or food. But let's just run with that story and let's just hope it's the best. Because I, it looked like he was having fun, man. And I'm not mad at anybody having fun because having fun is important, man. 
It's important for your body. It's important for your mind, your soul. So, I mean, they're saying that he, he potentially is putting people at risk by doing that. But I hope everything just works out fine and he's tested negative so he doesn't have COVID so he can just return to playing basketball. You know, I've seen the back and forth with him and Kendrick Perkins. I mean, they both have valid points. Um, yeah, sometimes you just gotta like, yo, you got a valid point, and then you got a valid point. You just gotta keep it moving. You know, Kendrick Perkins is like, yo, shouldn't have been doing that. Sixteen-year vet. And Louis like, yo, this is old ever. Really did. The only like thing you could say against me in my sixteen years of my career. So they both got valid points, and at the end of the day, you know, hopefully Louis is good. And Kendrick Perkins, you know, just does what he do, and hopefully doesn't you know piss off too many more NBA players. Because at the end of the day, that is a brotherhood. But um, speaking of this weekend, though, you know my Knicks they finally picked the head coach. And, you know we got Tibbs in the fold now, five year deal. I don't know how much money, and and to be honest, I don't even care because it's not even my business. You know, we got Bane in the fold. You know, I just feel like there's going to be a culture cha- a culture shift for the positive. You know, I think with R.J. Barrett being coached by Coach K, like he knows he could handle a gangster and passionate coach like Thibodeau who cares about the game. And I think the same goes for Frank, Nilekina, and Dan Smith Jr. And when it comes to Mitchell Robinson... You know, I'm not concerned about him either because I feel like someone needs to light a fire up his ass. And I think Tibbs is the one. And Tibbs, fuck with the name Tibbs. I, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how to spell his name. Uh, that's why I just call him Tibbs. Like, I do, because if I say his name Thibodeau, mentally, I'm thinking about how do I spell out his name. So I don't want to, that's why I just call him Tibbs. So I think Tibbs could light a fire up Mitchell Robinson's ass for the, for the better. And I also hope that the Knicks keep Mike Miller in the fold as well because he brings good vibes and he kept the team together and playing hard after uh, D. Fizz got fired. You know, I think I, I was glad to see that. They seem to compete much more and then losing closer games. You know, my only complaint with Mike Miller was the fact that he didn't give Dennis Smith Jr. the complete green light as much as I wanted him to have it. But I do got faith in Dennis Smith Jr. And I think Tibbs can help him out. And I almost forgot about Kevin Knox. And I think he could use Tibbs in his life as well. And I think we can use more talent on the team, obviously. But it's also obvious that these players haven't had, haven't reached their full potential either. And it would be great to see if Thibodeau can get that out of them. That shit would be amazing. You know, like, like especially Dennis Smith Jr., like, whenever he played against the Mavs, he balled out. You know, he balled out in other games as well. But, like, I remember the game against Charlotte and a couple other games where we would have, like, 15 points, 7 assists, 5 steals. So I'm okay with that. You know, I'm also thinking about wondering what we're going to do with Dennis Smith Jr. if we draft a point guard. Because at the end of the day, Dennis Smith Jr. is only 22 years old. You know, he can still develop. It's crazy, man. Like, in this NBA era now, like, 21... 22, like your career could be easily decided by that time before it was, that's when you got to figure shit out, what you want to be in the NBA. Now it's sort of like by this age, it's sort of determining your fate for you. So I think 
if you do draft a point guard, we could at least use him as our sixth man and have him play about 25 to 26 minutes a game and just let him play in attack mode. Have have him as our our version of Russell Westbrook. And and our starting five, I'll prefer it to be hypothetically speaking. Um I would like LaMelo, have Frank Nilakina at the two, RJ at the three, Kevin Knox at the four, Mitchell Robinson at the five, and have Dennis Smith Jr. come off the bench so he could have the green light to do what he wanna do. And I know that's not a playoff team right there, but I see that as a fun team to watch. I can see them all competing. I know Lamelo's gonna compete. I know Frank, he might not be the best player that we have, but he competes. And same thing for RJ Barrett, he competes. Kevin Knox, I just gotta see some more passion out of him. Mitchell Robinson, he competes. You know, Dennis Smith Jr. off the bench when motivated, he's gonna compete. And I know I didn't mention Julius Randle and shit, but. I'm just saying if we didn't have him, that would be my five. That's a young-ass starting five. And that's a nice group to build around. And what I realized is none of the players that I listed are, are knocked down three-point shooters. But they've all shown the ability to knock down a three. And I think it's necessary to have a solid score off the bench that you can rely on in case the top guns don't got it going on. And... At worst, Dennis Smith Jr. should be the sixth man off the bench for us. That's just my thought process. You know, when it comes to this coaching process, I wouldn't have minded Atkinson because he's shown us the great things he could do. But I didn't want to feel like we were getting the sloppy seconds of the Nets. And kid, if we got kid, I would have been nervous because I'm thinking we got kid because they're thinking that we might have a chance to get Giannis or, or, or even... LeBron because LeBron doesn't want uh, Jason Kidd to lead the Lakers. So I, I was nervous, man. Like, I don't want to get Jason Kidd because they think LeBron and, and Giannis going to come here the year after this or something like that. I, I, that shit would have pissed me off because that was the whole point of getting D-Fizz. The D-Fizz, players, coach, great relationships, etc., etc. Ain't shit happen with him, man. At least he got his bread, though. And that was cool. That was cool, you know. Um, and Kid has also shown us that he he's been shaky with his post NBA career. And there was a four to six hour stretch where they said, "Hey, Kid might be the coach of the Knicks," and we was all holding our breath. And you know, Kid was also shaky when it came into the playoffs when he was on the Knicks when he didn't score a point after Game Two versus the Pacers, and that series went to six games. And I remember fucking Kid missing fast break layup. During a pivotal moment, I believe he was either game three or game four. I could have helped us out, but um, he didn't, and he just went scoreless for four games. And you know, at least that came back, and that will play like ten minutes a game and had to give us like twelve points. You know, I just wish that was healthy. When he was on the court, he he was a force to be reckoned with, you know. But yeah, I'm glad we got Thibodeau instead of Kid. I wouldn't have minded Mike Woodson at all. Whenever I think about him, I just think about the good times he gave us and his just reaction to whatever he disagreed with, whether it was JR taking a questionable shot, Melo passing out of a double team, whatever it was that he he didn't like what he was seeing or the Knicks not playing good defense. He would just have the funniest faces, very memeable faces he would make, Mike Woodson. 
And I just wish, you know, hopefully he does get another chance. But I'm glad, you know, with Thibodeau, if we had Mike Woodson, I would have been just as happy if we had Mike Woodson, but um, we guess we didn't. And um, Andre Robeson had two three-pointers. Believe it, I forgot who it was against, but I saw that shit. I was just like, wow, I forgot. I almost forgot that he was in the NBA because it's been so long since he played. I remember he tore his Achilles, and that's what really messed up OKC. I told my friends before that shit, that if Robeson never tore his Achilles, that team probably would have done better because him tearing his Achilles forced Melo to play defense, which affected Melo's offense. Because before Robeson tore his Achilles, Melo was averaging like 18 points a game, and it was Robeson got hurt. Shit was just different. He ended up averaging 16 for the season, so let you know that his, his scoring declined a bit because he had to be more active on defense. And I feel like if Robeson was healthy, that team would have done much better than just a first-round exit. And he probably would have been the one guarding Donovan Mitchell. But unfortunately, he tore his Achilles, which is a devastating injury. So I'm just glad to see that he's back after all this time and he's able to uh, perform well. And we saw him hit two three-pointers and I just can't believe how impressed and amazed everybody was. Like, I know he's not a sharp shooter. Shooting is not his forte. I was like, damn, man, when it comes to setting the ball low for somebody or something, you got to do it like Robeson, man. He set the ball so low that he hit two three-pointers and the world is going crazy. Like, it's just crazy. He hit two three-pointers. Everybody's like, oh, shit, man, Robeson hit two three-pointers. That's all I seen on my news feed was the fact that he hit two three-pointers. And I'm pretty sure in practice, he's knocking them shits down on a regular basis. So maybe just not having a crowd shit might benefit Andre Robeson. I think I kept calling him Anthony Robeson, but I know it's Andre Robeson. And, you know, before I get out of this podcast, you know, last but not least, can't forget about David West and... I was sort of upset, taken back by his thoughts of the Knicks coaching hire being like a racial thing. And you could say a lot of things about the Knicks, but I don't think being racist or prejudiced is one of them. You know, he wanted to know how many black coaches the Knicks have had. And I could think five off the top of my head from just this century. Lenny Wilkins, Isaiah Thomas, Mike Woodson. David Fisdale, Derek Fisher, that's five. I don't know if you're going to count Don Chaney, who was an interim head coach. Um, Herb Williams, I'm not going to count Herb Williams. He coached like two games. But Don Chaney, he had like a whole 50 games. And, and I think he only won 19 of the last like 40 or 50 games of the season. And then he didn't get a chance to be hired as a head coach. And the Knicks are also the only team to have had a black president general manager and head coach at the same time. So I could understand David West's issues about uh, black coaches getting more opportunities in the NBA. I know that's definitely an issue in the NFL. Uh, But when it comes to the Knicks, I I don't think that's fair to the Knicks. You know, you could probably have that issue amongst the other 29 teams. But I don't think when it comes to the Knicks, that should be an issue. And Stephen A. Smith, many other people have mentioned about the Knicks hiring practices being very diverse. 
and all of that good stuff. So I don't think that was fair on David West's take. As a Knicks fan, I'm sensitive because it's like it's almost everything we do, it has to be bad press around it. You know, even from the hiring of World Wide West to getting Tom Thibodeau. I like both of those moves. And I think a lot of people would be would like those moves too if it wasn't the Knicks. But like I said, I understand David West's um, concern, but that concern should not be uh, aligned with the Knicks because the Knicks, I believe, a lot of people believe, have great hiring practices, even though um, we haven't seen a success on the court. But we have hired and, and tried to hire the, the people we think that's best for the job. So, And I don't think that's fair to Tibbs. And he also mentioned that why does Tibbs keep getting another chance? And my thing is, like, yo, he did a great job in Chicago. He, every year his team is banged up, whether his fault or not. He got him competing in the playoffs, just losing to LeBron. It's almost like the way James Harden loses to the Warriors, Thibodeau's just losing to LeBron. I didn't know losing to LeBron in the playoffs is such a bad thing. And then Thibodeau goes on the Timberwolves. He helps them go to the playoffs after 14 years or 15 years. So him trying to say Thibodeau's a whack coach, you know, that's pretty disrespectful, I think, because I think Thibodeau's a great coach. I think he's well-respected around the NBA. Jeff Van Gundy had me hyped up when he said uh, winning players don't complain about Thibodeau. I was like, fuck yeah. About to see who's the winning players on the Knicks that we got, you know. So I, I didn't like that, that, dig at, that dib at Tibbs. That dig at Tibbs. I don't think that was justified at all. I think he's well-respected. He's valid. Uh, I think, if anything, we learned from Tibbs 10 years in Minnesota that he shouldn't be the coach and a GM or vice president of basketball operations, whatever that shit is. I think he should just be a coach because you can see how things get awkward. Like, I always see this player playing better. Oh, well, we might trade you, bro. Like, you could, it's, it's, I could see how the tension between the players and the coach slash vice president of operations can happen. So I think that's why it didn't work out. But in terms of Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, you know, their minutes per games decreased throughout the years with Thibodeau. That's a positive sign. You know, so I think he's learning from his mistakes as well, which I think is fair. You know, you should try to learn from your mistakes. And, and that was my take on the David West situation. I don't, I like, every single time that we do something, there's always bad press around and I don't like that shit. Especially when it's uncalled for. So... You know, that's all I got for episode 20, uh, 33. I almost said 23, but it's episode 33. And y'all be safe. And, you know, I'm going to head up out of here. Y'all be good.